We're going through long story short, and we're looking at scripture, and we've gone through creation, how God made the heavens and the earth, and he created humanity. He said the heavens and earth were good, and then he said that humanity was very good. Thank you. Very good. So, and, and he breathed his spirit, the spirit of life into them. The other ones he kind of created, but he fashioned man from the dust and breathed pneuma, breathed life into him. And then uh, things didn't go too well forever. Things eventually kind of fell apart and Adam and Eve sinned. They did what God told them not to do and chaos came into the world. Chaos, death, decay, destruction. And these are things that we battle all the time. And we're still going through that right now. But God created a plan to pull us out of that chaos, and it started with the covenant, a covenant that he gave to the family of Abraham. A covenant was also given to Noah that he would no longer flood the earth. But the covenant that he gave to Abraham was that through him, someone would come and the whole world would be blessed by that person. And that person we know now as the Messiah, but also Jesus Christ, the Savior. So we go up to covenant to Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant. He comes and he fulfills it. He doesn't get rid of it, but he, he comes and he uh, says, this is, is why I'm here. I'm here to restore things back to the original creation, the original intent. And so we're in this restoration process. He also establishes what he calls the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of heaven starts with Christ. We're not just waiting to get to heaven, but we can actually begin with the kingdom of heaven now, which is what we're called to do as Christians and believers. We're not just called to wait until we go to heaven, but we're called to create little tiny peaks of heaven right now, little glimpses, little flashes of heaven with what we do and how we live. And that is done through the church. So as the church, we're called to minister and to bring heaven on earth, and we're also called to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, as we're functioning today. So the church should be the best place to get ministered to, the best place to come to, and the best place to be made spiritually whole because we know who Jesus Christ is. And we're also activated by the Holy Spirit to do this work. So we're empowered and given the authority to do that through the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended, he said, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And he did that. So that's what the church is called to do. In fact, next week, we're going to talk specifically about our church and how that works. We're going to talk about the different pieces. How many of you are on a team right now? You're on a different church team. How many of you are serving? Stand up real quick. I want you to stand up. Stand up if you serve in some way on a team. Excellent. Thank you. Everyone thank them. They help us do the ministry of the church within the church. Now, I know a lot of you serve in a lot of different areas outside of it. Next week, we're going to go through the different teams that we have and then the open positions we have. So we're going to go through that and talk about how we function as a team. And if you're on one of the teams, uh, like ministry team, missions team, I'm going to be contacting your chairperson and asking if that chairperson or someone else on your team will be willing to just talk for a minute or two about what your team does so that everyone in our church knows what we do as a church, right? So that's important to know as well. So Jesus Christ gave the Holy Spirit, but then he said the church, not just the pastor, not the priest. In fact, he, he said the priest is there, the pastor is there. Instead of doing the ministry, he's there to equip the saints for the good works. He says, I have so much work for you to do. It's not a minister or a professional's job. It is the job of everybody 
And so that's what he does with the disciples. He sends them out, and it's called the Great Commission. He sends them out to make the disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to activate them into ministry as well so that disciples make disciples that make disciples, right? That's what the church is called to do. That's primarily our, our focus and, and what we are called to do. Uh, we're called to worship God, to get right with him, and then to grow others into that same thing as well. Okay, so we go from Christ to church, and then everyone say recreation. And so we talked a little bit about that. We talked about destruction and, and some of the stuff in Revelation, and, and we talked a little bit how, how that lines up with Daniel and some of the things we've seen there. And, and we didn't go through all of it exhaustively. It, it would take a long time to do that. But I, I felt like we needed to kind of wrap it up and, and talk about two things that are, are deeply important. One's really bad and one's really good. Okay? And, and sometimes we just want, how many of you would just rather skip to dessert? Yeah, right? Uh, it's going to be Thanksgiving soon. You just want to go for the pumpkin pie. <laughs> you know, and then, and then we'll have some of the other stuff later. But we have to go through some of the tough stuff in order to get to the good stuff. So when we're looking at this, we see that chaos comes into God's perfect creation. And chaos comes in through sin and disobedience to God. Sin means missing the mark with God. And it means uh, not hitting the target, not doing what we're asked to do, not fulfilling our, our end, what we're called to do. So sin comes in and chaos, and, and, and God said, you'll surely die if this happens. And that's eventually what happens to Adam and Eve. They do die, not that day, but eventually they do die. But they're removed from the garden. They're removed from the garden, and in Scripture, in Genesis, it says that they're removed so they will not eat from the tree of life because then they'll live forever. So they're removed from the Garden of Eden, not just because of their sin, but also to remove them from what would keep them uh, alive forever. And so why would God do that? Well, because he said that was a consequence of their sin. You'll surely die. You're going to die if you do this. And they did it. But also because God's desire, his ultimate desire is to remove sin completely. Okay? <laughs> And so this is a problem in the world that we look around today. A lot of people have a difficulty trusting God or believing in a God or, or saying that God could even be a loving God if he allows pain to exist, if he allows death to exist, if he allows people to hurt other people, if he allows people to cheat other people and they don't get judged immediately. How many of you would say that the world is unfair? This creates a problem. And a lot of people, their issue isn't that they don't believe that God exists. Their issue is that if God exists, he can't be good. Because a good God wouldn't allow this to happen. Are you with me? Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like something happened to you that was unfair and God should have changed it? Yeah, I, I've felt that way, right? And, and sometimes it, I'm wrong. Sometimes it's insignificant. Other times I don't understand why this was allowed to happen. It doesn't make any sense. And, and so this is the struggle that we, we live with, with our finite view of time. Remember, God exists outside of time and creation. God's ultimate purpose when chaos came was through the covenant and through Christ was restoration and recreation of all things. So his desire is to go back to the communication and to some of the, the great truth and joy that was found in early creation, the very good and good he wants to go back to. 
The problem for us is we're not there yet. And also the problem for us is sometimes we like chaos a little bit more than we should. So I, I think all of us, if we were to take a poll, all of us would say that we don't like we don't like sin, right? We don't like sin. Here, I want to read something to you. Um, let's let's uh, show the Lord's Prayer, if you would. And why don't we, we read it together? There we go. I actually, there's a 1611 KJV, and I, it was, everything was misspelled. They didn't know how to spell back then. You know language changes, right? That's part of the reason why we have different uh, yeah, different uh, versions and stuff like this. But this may be the one that you're familiar with. Us. Can you read it with me? Uh, we're going to start at Our Father, okay? Are you with me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, that's found in scripture. That's what Jesus says to us. He says, you know, when you pray, pray like this. Let's go back uh, a few verse, one, one slide to the other verse. I want to look at that again. It says here, thy kingdom, what? And thy will be done as what? So the goal is to have heaven where? On earth. The goal of every believer is that we can live within part of the realization of this right now. It's not settled. It's not, it's not all settled out. The dust is still in the air in some ways. But the truth is we're called to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth right now. The problem is we sin, and there's sin around us. There are, there are things around us that, that God hates, and God hates sin far more than I do and you do. God hates it way more than you ever could. And this is where it gets difficult. Because God's desire isn't just for sin to stop. His desire is for sin to stop for how long? forever. So how does that occur? Well, his kingdom has to be reestablished. His kingdom has to, to, to be firm. And his kingdom has to what? Eradicate evil once and for all. It has to be done for how long? Forever. David talked about this. David talked about this in, in a verse in, in Psalms. Can you pull that verse up for me? Joy, thank you, Joy. You're, you're an all-star. He said this, he, he committed adultery. And not only that, he murdered the husband and he did a whole bunch of other sins to cover up his one sin. And the realization of the burden of this came upon him. And the truth is he did sin against every one of the people involved and his commanders. He sinned against everybody around him in this. But his realization was this, Against you and you alone have I, what? Done wrong. Missed the mark. That's what that means, okay? I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is what? 
Okay. This is a problem that a lot of people and even some Christians have with God is they hate the idea of the God that judges and the God that hates sin. They want God just to love, but God cannot be loved if he loves sin. He has to hate what is evil and love what is good. And so the goal is to eradicate sin completely, completely. His son, Jesus Christ, died so that we can accept the grace that he gives us and we can have our sins washed and put away. Amen? It's not by the good things we do. So don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't think that I'm saying you just do enough good things and you get it. No, 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 no. No, that's impossible because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned against God and God alone. Sure, we've hurt people when we've done it, but ultimately, who designed the rules? God. Who says what is good and what is evil? God, not me. Remember, Adam and Eve determined in their heart what was good and what was right, and that's where we fell away. So God's design and God's purpose is to eradicate evil once and for all, but also we have this thing that's within us where we get to choose what we're going to do with it. When we, when we, hear, the, when we hear Christ and the message of his gospel, we have a choice to make of whether or not we will serve, and it's the same choice that was presented in the Old Testament, where, where the guy stood up and said, choose today whom you will what? Serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve, I almost fell there, the Lord, right? I'm going to serve God. So that's the choice that, that we have to make today and every day. Is like, who are we going to choose to serve? And then the truth is, people choose their own eternal destiny based upon the choice that they make. We all have free will to choose God's grace or to reject it. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this in I like C.S. Lewis's stuff. He, he's a deep thinker, but he wrote stories, and I, I like stories. And, and he talked about how the people that choose hell are essentially choosing it, that they desire that, that they don't desire the good things of God. They don't want a God that is good and that wants ultimate good. So in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, we see that our our prayer is to be that God would make heaven on earth, that God would bring the kingdom of heaven down. All right, let's show a few of the review slides, if you would, Joy, of, of some of the stuff that we went through when we were looking at Revelation. So we have the, the big idea, Jesus Christ is victorious, and we are called by faith to what? Share in that victory. And that's recreation, and then evil is gone forever. Let's look at the, the, the wonderful pictures. I like pictures. The, the, yeah, this is John. John, as he's on the island of Patmos, is under the rule of Domitian, the emperor of Rome, 81 to 96, who's persecuting Christians severely, hurting them, killing them, and, and trying to gain control by doing that. And then the main point, let's go to the next one, is... A symbolic vision, this is Revelation, the understanding of Revelation, is a symbolic vision for every generation of the church. So some of the people were going through it then, and we're still going through it now. And Babylon stands as an image of evil and the wrong that people choose. And the idea that they can choose their own path and create their own destiny. While 
the Jerusalem and the, and the new earth represent God's kingdom and the kingdom to come. Not only are they that, they're physical, real locations, and they're real nations and real structures. And then also, this is the ultimate goal for the believer. Jesus will return as king, and he'll have to deal with evil and vindicate his followers. And in chapter 21, 22, we see the marriage of heaven and earth, and he makes all things new. Everyone say new. You know that's one of the greatest marketing terms that they use? Have you ever seen that? Like toothpaste, new and improved, and you open it up and it tastes exactly the same. It's like soap, new and improved. What does it do? Does it make you cleaner? No, it's the same thing, right? Well, when God comes, he is making all things new. He's going to make it new. It's not branding. It's not marketing. Everything's going to be restored, but it's also going to be new. There's new things that are going to come down to earth. And in fact, and John has a vision of things coming down and things being established. And God's kingdom will be on earth. And it says he will live and reign with his people. Jesus Christ will. So things, things change. It's not just the words that we're talking about. It's a reality. And there's a marriage of heaven and earth. So, so remember before, God would walk in the garden, right? And he would walk with Adam and Eve. And so as his creation and himself were intertwined with this communication. And then chaos happened, and it broke and fractured the relationship. But the design that God wanted was to bring us all back into unity and grace with him. The difficulty in that is that sin has to be paid for because God is holy and just. He, he's a good ju- God, and he's fair, and he hates evil. So in order to restore things, the penalty has to be paid. But then it also has to be received. So Jesus Christ is a gift that's freely given, but he has to be received for us to accept that and receive that salvation and that forgiveness. God isn't going to force us to love him. Now, most people would not want to marry somebody they tricked into marrying them. Would you agree? Most of you would want your significant other to love you. Amen? And you want to love them. But you want them to love you out of their own free will. If you could, by hypnosis or snapping your fingers or buying the perfect right flower, trick them into loving you, that isn't a real relationship. In fact, some people go to jail for trying to do things like that, right? Because you're manipulating. You're manipulating. You're a con artist. God isn't that. He wants us to choose to love him. God is not going to bring anyone into heaven that doesn't want to be there. You're like, well, who wouldn't want to be into heaven? Anybody who's in rebellion against God. Think about it. The angels turned into demons when they rejected God's rule. When they had pride and wanted to make their own decisions, they chose to leave heaven. Hell is then created for their punishment in order to lock them away so that they cannot infect anything else. So, people choose their eternal destiny. But we have the creation of the temple of God and the Lamb, and humanity rules as God's image, reestablished, and it says there are no tears, and sin cannot be present there, and it cannot enter in again, and we will not have another chaotic moment when it comes to that. Instead, we'll have the new heavens and the new earth. There will be jobs. There will be responsibilities. There will be glory. There will be excellent things. We're not going to be floating on harps all looking like fat babies in diapers, okay? That's not heaven. 
It's a weird heaven if that's what you think what you want. I don't know. But, but God has established something. We'll have creation. You're like, well, I love the world right now the way it is. Yeah, well, imagine that without any sin, without any imperfection, without death, without chaos, and you're beginning to understand what heaven is called to be. So Revelation chapter 20, if you want to open your Bible, I'd love for you to do that. I'm, I'm going to try to go through these verses, and I'm not going to go through all of Revelation, but I want to go through these verses to kind of establish this in, in your mind so that you understand uh, what we're talking about. And I'm trying to be as, as fair and just to the text as I can be. I'm not by any means saying that I know all of this stuff perfectly or that I have it figured out. And I'm not terribly interested in the timeline more than I am in that it's completed and that God's word is true, right? So I trust it. And so I have the end goal in mind, ultimately, that God has victory, amen, and that we're called to share in that victory. We're given responsibility to share in it. So chapter, chapter 20 uh, says, Then I saw, this is verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from the heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the what? The devil, Satan. So that's the serpent that was in the garden, right? And bound him in chains for a thousand years. Then the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterwards, he must be released for a while. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. How many of you have heard people say, only God can judge me? This verse kind of contradicts that. <laughs> it says that there are going to be people that are given authority to judge. You know that Jesus also said authority is given so that judgment can be just. So the reason you stand before a judge is because God wants some justice on the earth and because us as humans have a little bit of common sense to know that we can't just let everybody do what they want to do, that there is judgment, amen? Only God can judge me. That isn't true. You know, that may be why you were fired because you didn't do your job. You know, it's interesting, but, oh, you know, people are just judging me all the time. No, uh, sometimes it's just judgment. And other times it could be unjust, but this is where justice is played out. Everyone wants justice until it's directed at them. And, and that's where it becomes difficult. And I saw the souls for those who had been beheaded for their testimony. So this is ultimately talking about martyrdom too. About Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue. That means they didn't fall to the world. They didn't put... Uh, the 666, wherever it's going to be. They didn't do any of that. Instead, they followed Jesus, and they said, we're not going to obey. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. 
When the thousand years came to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth, and he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on them, attacking their armies and consumed them. Sometimes when we think of Armageddon, and that's, that's what this is speaking of. We think of a battle that occurs. And there is a battle that occurs. But realize that God's power is so overwhelming that when the armies assemble to attack, what happens? What does it say? Fire comes down out of heaven and does what? So fire drops down and poof, the war's over. This isn't like elongated battle. This is just annihilation when it comes to standing against God. He's too powerful. You can't do it. So the fire from heaven came down on the attacking enemies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, where they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. And I saw white throne. So, so well, wait, let's just go back there for a second. How many of you would say that you dislike murder just a little bit? You're not a fan of rape. You, you don't like it when, when people steal from others. You don't like it when someone steals from you. That, that's even worse. <laughs> you, don't, you don't like it when, when somebody hits a, hits a child, abuses a child. This is some, there's some horrible stuff in the world, isn't there? Do you know that the devil is the author of all of that? And it started in the garden, and he has bent humanity into a crooked, crooked thing. And, and now we are determining what is good and what is right, and some people's determination radar is way off, and they're doing horrible things, some of them knowing what they're doing and some of them not. And we all want justice, and we all want what is fair. And so this is what happens to the devil who has started all of this. Imagine all of the murders, all of the evil that is done in the world is started by this. There is a consequence that God has laid out, amen? There is a justice because God is fair and just. So... The devil will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it and the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. Oh, thank God for the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and the death of the grave, and gave up their dead, and they were all judged according to what? Their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. It's over. It's defeated. And this lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Bad news for them, right? This is why the work of the church is so important. Our goal is to reach those people before they're standing before the throne of God. Amen? This is why it is so important that we do not become 
shaky in our knees when it comes to standing and telling the truth about God. I'd rather not talk about hell. And I don't think hell is a good way to necessarily get people into the kingdom of heaven. I think they need to be shown love and mercy and grace. But there is a reality here that we're sometimes not talking about and we're not thinking about. And it is the reality of the second death, which is the lake of fire. And it was made for the devil. And so humanity should not be going there. And they have a choice to make. And we're called to present the very best option that we can of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, it's your decision. You cannot trick people into the kingdom of heaven. They have to come willingly. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the bad news, right? But there is justice in this. Because God does not want his kingdom to be infected. And God hates sin so much, remember, that he's going to eradicate it and make it impossible for it to return. Good news. Everyone say, I want good news. How many of you like the good news, right? The good news is made better knowing the bad news. <laughs> the good news, verse, I mean, sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old, earth, old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. So I, I've always been confused by this, but I guess the sea to them, when they would use that word, he was probably speaking of the confusion and the turmoil of this earth. So the sea was often seen as like the most dangerous place to be. I think there's still going to be oceans and water in heaven. But he's saying that the, that turmoil is going to be gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Remember Emmanuel? Emmanuel means what? God with us. And that's what's happening. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, whew, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. And all these things are gone for how long? Forever. Yay! And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to them, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is A and Z. I am the beginning to end. And to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I'll be their God, and they will be my children. How many of you, just let's be honest for a second, have moments in the week where you wish you could just be a kid? You're like, man, I am worn out by all these decisions, and there's something to that, right? We will be his children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral... Those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Jesus, right? Sunday school answer there. Jesus. 
Jesus is the lamb, the lamb who took away the sins of the world. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So it's coming down. It's shown with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. And the city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it was square, as wide as it was long. And in fact, its length and width and height were about 1,400 miles. That's big. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick. Aren't you glad that this is coming down out of heaven and you're not in charge of this construction? The wall was made of pure jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. And the wall of the city was built on a foundation of stones and laid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third was agate, the fourth emerald, and the fifth onyx, and the sixth, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl. How many of you have these on your fingers already? <laughs> wow, it just keeps going on through all of these. I'm not going to read all of these. And the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. <laughs> Did you ever hear about the joke who, of the guy who wanted to be buried with all of his gold bars? He shows up to the, the gates of heaven, and Peter's there to welcome him in. He made it, Whew. accepted Jesus as his Savior, right? And he's coming in, and Peter looks at him real confused and said, why are you carrying asphalt? Gold bars, just asphalt, man. Isn't that interesting? What we, f what we think is rare and valuable in heaven is going to be common. It'll be glorious, better than we can imagine. But it's, it's not going to be the, the same. I saw no temple in the city. There's, there's not going to be a church, guys. Because the church is there, right? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Everywhere they go, it's going to be church. And the city has no need of sun or moon. It doesn't say necessarily that they won't be there. It says there's no need for it. For the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb with its light. Never nighttime. The glory of God is just all over it. In the Old Testament, you see that Moses would go up to the mountain and he would meet with God and he'd have to hide his face and cover behind a rock. And he would come down out of the mountain and his skin would radiate. It would be so bright that people had to look away. If they had sunglasses, they would have put them on. They didn't have them. They had to look away because of the glory of God that was shining off, just a reflection off of Moses. But the glory of God will be present there in such a way it will illuminate the city and the Lamb in its light. The nations will walk in its light. Woo! There are going to be nations in heaven. You see that? There's still going to be distinctions. And the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. There will be kings and rulers and leaders in, the, in this heaven. Who's the ultimate king, though? God, Jesus is in charge. He is on the throne. He's the king of all kings. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. There's no need to lock the gates because no one's coming in to steal stuff, guys. 
And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How many of you want to go there? Don't you wish you could like go and get a ticket for at least a vacation there? I think the reason we can't do that is because none of us would come back. We're like, no, I'm not leaving. You ever go on vacation, you come back and you get grumpy? Imagine going to heaven, coming back and like, I think this is wrong. <laughs> Everything's wrong. This, this is the glory that God is bringing down and he is restoring for you and for me and for everyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, but who does Jesus want there? Everyone. Well, what about the person that wronged you? What about the person that sinned? What about the person that murdered? What about if they repent? This is for them too. If they choose to leave that life that they led that and choose the kingdom of heaven for now and all of eternity, this is their home as well right? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. It's difficult, but it's true. This is what God lays out for us. How, how could a just God allow hell to exist? I'm glad he told us about it. Wouldn't be fair if he didn't tell us, right? He tells us exactly what's going to happen. He lays it out, and he says, Here's what will happen if you live this way. If you don't choose my son, if you don't accept the grace that's given to you, here's what happens if you do. Here's what I'm preparing for you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to bring it down to you too. So before, you know, either here, here's the deal. Either we're going to die and go, and go to be with the Lord and, and be in heaven in that situation or he's going to return and establish that kingdom on earth. Amen? Either way, I'm okay with it. And the truth is, even if I'm not okay with it, does that change what's going to happen? No. Because God is the establisher of truth. He's the one that determines what is good and what is evil. And so that's what he's done here. In chapter 22, it says, The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it flowed down the center of Main Street. Whew! And on each side of the river grew a, light, a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. That's what God is doing. So I have a few, few pictures, because my mind can't really wrap around this 1,400 miles thing with a city, and then 216, was it, I don't know how many feet thick. Yeah, 216 feet thick and, and all this. So I've got a few pictures just to show, uh, well, let's go past that. That's not the one we were, there we go. This is the cubic miles, <laughs> all right? This is, I can't wrap my head around this. I'm not even going to try to say that. 
it's huge. Okay, next picture. There's, that is the area it will take up. The geographical area. You see Africa, you see Israel, you see all this. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty heavy. Let's see it to scale on a globe. I think we have that picture. Obviously, that's not a real picture of what it is. It's not just the yellow boxes. It's what God creates, right? <laughs> it looks like cheese. That's Wisconsin, folks. No. <laughs> uh, that's incredible, isn't it? it it's amazing. It's just, the, the rest of the earth is going to exist, but the New Jerusalem is going to be like the center of everything, right? They think New York City is the Big Apple. That's the big cheese, I guess, right? <laughs> Thanks, Stephen, for that. So, is he, <laughs> We'll have enough space for social distancing, Joy. I don't think we'll want to, though. We want to worry about the coronavirus anymore. So this is what God is in the process of doing. And I, some people say, well, what are we going to do for all eternity? Isn't that going to get boring? It's like, well, how long do you want to live right now? Most people want to live forever, right? Although this life is kind of dull sometimes. We can't do everything that we want to do. God is preparing a place for you, and he's been preparing a place for you. And he created this in seven days. Six days, really. Seventh day he rested. How much more great is the next thing going to be? Imagine the creation and the creativity and what can occur and, and what you can learn how to do and what you can study and, and who you can become when time is infinite, when you have all the time forever. And the relationships and the people that you'll meet and the people that you know right now, because in heaven it says you'll know and be known. We're not going to be ethereal spirits without a body. We're going to have a physical presence that doesn't decay. And we're going to be able to communicate with people. We're going to know who they were. Some of you are are very worried about, you know, not being around your family that's there. You're going to know who they are and they're going to know you. And maybe you live in the same area. Maybe you live in the same house. Who knows? I'm sure you'll have options. So you're like, I don't want to. I want a little bit of distance. That's okay, all right? Things change when we're in heaven too. You know, everything that you've held as far as bitterness, anger, uh, malice, the, the, the regret and, and even the pain of the sin that you have. I know some of you probably felt guilty over some of the things you felt you've done wrong. That is going to leave in the presence of God Almighty. And you're going to walk in complete victory. And you're going to be unbent humanity. You're going to be as human as Jesus was who was born without sin. You are going to be restored if this is where you place your faith and your hope and your belief. That's the God we serve. That's the big story of God's creation coming back to restore and the, and the Jerusalem coming down as the beautiful bride. And it, it contrasts with, with Babylon, who is seen as, as the whore in the Bible and, and all these things that are done for the wrong motives and the wrong reason. And God restores humanity and restores all of the good things back to us. We'll be able to do so many more things for so long in his presence. In the presence of God, our creator will be his children. Amen? That excites me. That excites me. And I think sometimes we don't have as clear of a view of heaven as, as we could, but maybe sometimes God is not revealing all of it to us because we have some usefulness for here and now. We're not just waiting to go to heaven. We have a call to help usher heaven into earth right now by how we live and how we treat others. Amen? And the kingdom of heaven can exist and does exist within the hearts of believers. 
And we're called to share little snapshots of what that's supposed to feel and look like. And that is why the church is the most important entity in the world. So I hope that you vote if you haven't voted already. I hope that, that you, you think about what has to happen in our nation and in our election. And I hope that you care about godly values and, and treating others with justice and respect. And I hope that you do the duty that you have to your time here and now. But I want you to realize that the greater goal and the greater vision is God's kingdom being established on earth as he will reign forever. And this has been a difficulty in, throughout the world for Christians. This is why China is ripping crosses off of buildings and why they're, they're putting pastors in prison again and they're persecuting the believers like you in church because they know that if somebody has eyes on Jesus, then they're not that concerned about themselves and they're more interested in serving others and serving the kingdom of heaven. And that threatens world governments. You understand that? Because instead of subscribing just to leadership blankly and following whatever they say and believing whatever they say is true and good, they're saying, no, no, when I look at the Bible, I don't see that to be accurate at all. I'm going to live by this and not by what you say. This tells me what the king most high says, and that's how I'm going to choose to live my life. And when you choose that, you're in opposition to Babylon, who wants to control you and wants to give you that mark of the beast, whether or not it's literal for right now. I think eventually it will be literal. But right now you have a choice who you will serve. Are you serving God first and foremost? There is no second place for God. He's either first or he isn't in your heart and in your life. He's not what you're doing. So this is the decision we make today and every day is to wake up and say, I may be a citizen of the United States, and I'm going to be a good citizen because I see that in Scripture, but I am first and foremost following the king. I'm following Jesus Christ. He is my ultimate leader, and I pray for all the other leaders, but I realize the ultimate and only everlasting reigning authority is the king most high. And so that, you see why, you see why Christianity is such a threat to the rest of the world? You see why this is a threat to anybody who wants to determine what is right and what is wrong. There are immoral and moral laws that are created. The immoral laws are those that go against the very nature of what God says to be true. And the immoral laws take away life. When I think of it, like the worst I can think of right now in our nation is abortion. It takes away the dignity of that small living being. And it doesn't allow them the freedom to become who God has created them to be. And in Scripture, it says that the, the, they, we were knit together in our mother's womb, and it calls us humans. And, and Jesus and, and, and John, his cousin, when, when their moms met, they leapt for joy within the womb. And it said that John had the Holy Spirit within him even then because he was human. He was completely human. And so whatever laws are made, just because a law is made does not make it just because we know that God is the ultimate designer of truth and creator of truth. And I will not bow my knee to any other king or any other thing than Jesus Christ. Amen. And in that, I am ultimately declaring that he is Lord, that he has the ability to judge me and judge everything else. And I am saying that his rule and his good will be established. And all inequities, everything that is unjust and unjust will be washed away. It will be taken care of, and he will balance the books. 
He will judge what is good and what is right. And I'm placing my trust and my hope in that. Even if I didn't place my trust and hope in that, even if I believe something else, it will not change the truth. It does not change the fact that this is what God says he is. So that's what I believe. And I know a lot of people are in different spectrums of of finding that, but I believe that's what the theological and, and the only outcome that you can come to when you read this scripture is that. That it is what it is, it says what it is, and it's very determined to to claim itself to be truth. If we go back to Revelation, last chapter in Revelation, everyone stand up, please, if you can. (laughs) You have free will, you can do what you want. (laughs) Worship team, you can go on up there. Verse 7 of chapter 22, it says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obeyed the words of the prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me them. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God. I, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all those who obey what is written in this book, worship only who? God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all those who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person in the plagues described in this book. If anyone removes anything, any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will, rem- will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. This right here is some good stuff here in, ver- in verse 20. It says, he who is faithful, the faithful witness to all these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. That's Jesus. Yes, I am coming soon. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with his holy people. Amen? May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Can we pray that just for a second? All right, let's bow our heads. Lord, you know, maybe somebody wants to recommit to you. They want to say that this this is where I want to be. This is where I want to spend eternity. This is how I want to live now. I want to follow you, Lord. Right now, I pray that you would strengthen them in that, that you would show them that that's the truth, that they would hold on to that and they would live in that way. And Lord, let us all pray this prayer that your grace, Lord Jesus, would be with us. 
that your grace, Lord Jesus, would make us holy and right, that your grace would establish us in your kingdom and in your authority forever and ever. And all of God's children said, amen, amen.